Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to a special edition of uh, Man of the Post. I'm your host, Chris. Um, a very special edition, as I say. We've got Alex here. Hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a special edition because we're here to talk about your little trip. Um, yes. My was jaunt. It, was it a holly bobs <laughs> or was it work? Uh, I, I like to categorise it as work. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Is that to justify it to yourself or... Uh... Uh, partly to myself, partly to the tax man. Um, <laughs> work was definitely the uh, the predominant order of the day. All right, so it's a busman's holiday, but it wasn't anywhere you would sort of pick out of a um, a holiday brochure, was it? No, no, it was uh, it was Malawi, um, which I have never been to before, um, and it's southeastern africa which is an area i've not been to before either my only previous experience of africa was a trip to morocco um and obviously africa being an extraordinarily diverse place those those two countries are kind of as far away from one another culturally and everything as as they can be on one continent so uh it was definitely very very new uh, very exciting and the predominant purpose of my trip was to go and visit uh, Chigoli, which is a football academy based in Lilongwe, which is the capital of Malawi, um, providing footballing and, uh, and I suppose, what would you call it, actual education, <laughs> if that's not a divisive <laughs> way of looking at it, um, to talented Malawian youngsters. Okay, right. Well, before we do that, let's just do a little bit about Malawi as a place. So this is Southeast Africa. This is sort of north of Zimbabwe, south of Tanzania, that sort of area. Yeah, in between, um, it's Mozambique on the right, uh, Zambia on the left, um, and yes, up and down as as you say. It's it's a longish, thin country. Uh, I think it's about seven hundred miles long, roughly, uh, up and down, and. Almost half of it is uh, cut through by uh, the incredible Lake Malawi, which is 360-odd miles long and 52 miles wide. Um, So it's not... I mean, it is a lake, but it it looks like the sea when you're going across it. Um, And yes, it's it's narrow, it's thin, it's predominantly uh, agrarian. So they grow coffee, maize, uh, tobacco, um, a lot of subsistence farming. There's three main cities, which are the long way, the capital, uh, Blantyre in the southwest, which was the kind of commercial hub, but that's shifting up to, to the long way a bit. And then Mizuzu, which is in the north, um, which is sort of the, the center of the, the main coffee growing region, but it's not it's not built up or anything. Um, it's quite densely populated, actually. It's got the, the population's about 17 and a half million. Um, and, and they are fitted into an area, uh, one fifth the size of Zambia, but with the population being the same. So it's, it's pretty cheek by jowl in some places. Okay. So the fact that one of these cities is called Blantyre, I'd imagine then that used to be one of our colonies in the dim and distant past, what it Malawi would have been. Uh, yes, it was. Um, and the British kind of upped and left more or less overnight at the beginning of the 60s um, and left nigh on nothing in the way of secession planning or any kind of sensible handover. It was, Malawi was not one of these um, resource-rich countries. I mean, the farming is good if you irrigate the land, but otherwise uh, there was nothing in the way of... of particularly of precious metals, gemstones. Certainly uh, oil hadn't been discovered at that point, although there is apparently some sort of um, potentially 
um, petrochemical stuff going on under Lake Malawi. So there's a bit of beef around the kind of border area at the moment because um, with Tanzania, some of the some of the lake is technically within Tanzania. And so there's some kind of, not disturbance, but they are arguing a little bit about who owns what. Um, but at, really at, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, having seen bits of the Malawian army pottering around, I, I'm not entirely sure they'd put up an enormous amount of resistance. Um, but at the time that the British left, there, there didn't seem to be much worth uh, either sticking around for or kind of leaving much in place by way of planning. So they just upped and left, really. And I don't think they left chaos, but it was certainly a, a vacuum that it was very easy to fill um, with people who didn't necessarily have the best of intentions for the country. So is it deserty or is it rainforest? Uh, do the people there, do they speak English? Are they Christian or Muslim? What sort of... Um, so it's about an 80-20 split between Christians and Muslims. Uh, percentage-wise. Um, English is predominantly a second language. Um, well, no, I mean, it's a second language to to native Malawians. Um, there are two main... Uh, uh, they're not dialects, really. They're, they're tribal languages, Chichewa and Tumbuku. Um, Tumbuku is predominantly spoken in the north, Chichewa, throughout most of the rest of the country. And Chichewa, the, the Chewa are a tribe who uh, occupy the sort of the bottom half of Malawi and much of Zambia as well. Um, because again, when the British kind of divided these um, areas up into countries, they didn't pay attention to to the, the tribal regions. So you can see tribes across two or three different countries in some instances. Um, and it's... I suppose topographically, it the, the soil is rich, but it's quite arid. So you do have to irrigate up until you get to kind of Mazuzu, which is, like I said, it's, it's the northern region, but it's actually only about two-thirds of the way up the country. Um, and at that point, you start to see an increase in elevation, um, a lot of forest, uh, kind of a microclimate where there's a lot more rain. Um, I think there is an area of kind of technically rainforest. Yeah. Um, but, but most of the rest of the country is quite dry, quite dusty, but with fertile land. Okay. Um, so on to their football then, uh, what sort of, have they got a, a league structure there? Um, <clears throat> I'm looking at their last national football team. Um, call <laughs> There's some fantastic clubs there. Big bullets, Kamuzu barracks, uh, blue Eagles. They're great. Yeah, um, big bullets are big bullets and uh, sort of like a combination of Manchester United and Millwall. I know that's probably <laughs> going to offend large numbers of people, but um, they're kind of um, they're the they're the the biggest, most well financed side in the Malawian Super League. But they're also run effectively by gangsters. Right. Uh, there's a lot of intimidation at, at their matches and. They're not. I'm not saying that Millwall are run by gangsters, by the way, but I'm saying that you know associations with crowd trouble and whatnot. Big bullets have that. Um, so yeah, there is the Super League, but it's quite remarkable. I mean, the we went to Mizuzu Stadium, as it's called in in Mizuzu, and it's the home of a couple of Super League sides. Uh, and it would be. I mean, it wouldn't even kind of pass muster for probably like seventh or eighth tier football here right. um it's uh, there's there's terraces they're sort of very very low flat terraces and it's basically sunk into this kind of the pitch is sunk into this area between the terraces with the high brick wall around the back of them it doesn't feel like somewhere that would be enormously safe to watch football um if there are any kind of crowd trouble or anything of that nature it's uh, you know, I, I, I can't see it being a great environment. Um, I think I think the league structure generally is in the in the top division in the Super League and in the division below that. I think it's it's well organised. Um, it's when you start getting down into certainly into youth football, but also into any kind of regional competition, that the the lack of organisation and structure is remarkable and. 
you know they literally don't know with kind of two or two or three weeks before the season begins whether there's actually going to be a national under 16s competition or even a regional under 16s competition that kind of stuff at all all, yeah, a lot of stuff gets organised very, very last minute, if at all. And there are all kinds of problems with sponsors pulling out or sponsors promising money that isn't actually then materialising and that kind of stuff. But but the Super League itself, the top division, is pretty robust and has existed for quite a while. What sort of level is that then? Is that sort of League 1, League 2 championship? Where are we? Oh, no, I'd say... I mean, it's probably... It's probably lower than League 2, a lot of it. It's... Um, I, uh, I didn't watch a Super League game myself, but I talked to people who had coached it. Um, it's, it's very physical. Uh, it's very quick, but it's not particularly technical. And I, I think if you look at, um, the very small number of Malawian players that actually end up playing abroad, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the kind of, um, a league that that produces footballers that are attractive to bigger sides, particularly in in other countries. No, I'm looking at Wikipedia and the most recent national team call-ups of all the players picked. Only one's got his name in blue. Yeah. Uh, so everybody pretty much plays in uh, Malawi, apart from someone who plays for uh, a team in Mozambique. But um, so did you come away from that sort of having spoken to these people, thinking you could fancy your chances? Of having a, a game and holding your own. <laughs> um, no, I mean I'm still, I'm still <laughs> not very good at football. Um, and and you know I, I think, I think it's very easy to, and and I in no way want to come across as as pejorative about <clears throat> about the way that football's played over there. There are some extraordinary talented, um, particularly uh, at the level that we were scouting at, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute, but. There are some really, really talented players. What there isn't a lot of is a particularly strong coaching infrastructure. And so a lot of the uh, technical skills that you want to be imparting to footballers, probably even before they turn 15 or 16, uh, those skills aren't being taught. Uh, Yeah, go on. Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to ask, is the Premier League a big distraction? So you've got, you know, if you were a... um a Malawian football fan, you can either go and watch the Malawian Super League or you can turn your telly on on a Saturday afternoon and watch Manchester United play somebody. Is is that a big issue? Um, Among richer Malawians, possibly. Um, Malawi is an extraordinarily poor country. Um, It's it's poor even by sub-Saharan African standards. So there aren't televisions in most houses, you, you might have one in a village. Um, there are in the in the towns. There are kind of sports bars where you can go and watch it. But no, I think I think the Malawian Super League is well supported. Um, it's just it's you know you're, the the sort of amounts of money that you're talking about in terms of sponsorship and wages and stuff like that is 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 inconsequential compared to the kind of money that you'd see elsewhere. I mean, it is interesting that if you talk to young Malawians their their footballing idols are people like Ronaldo or Messi um, but it's very likely that they've actually never seen them play okay. they, they've heard about them they know they're really really good at football but they've never actually watched a La Liga match because you just can't get it what about big African players, um, someone like Drogba or someone like that? Would they, would they not aspire to those instead? Do you think, or are they sort of more the Messi Ronaldo's? Um, certainly, the ones that I spoke to were more Messi's and, and Ronaldo's. Um, interestingly, a difference to that was the girls that are playing football, because probably the only Malawian footballer to have really made it in Europe is actually a, a female footballer called Tabitha who plays in Sweden at the moment um, and is really, really good. Um, and I think I think it's Swedish sort of second tier, but but has scored a hatful of goals there, um, possibly even top tier occasionally. Um, so the girls, interestingly, the girls do have uh, a role model to aspire to who's successfully transitioned into professional football in, 
in Europe, whereas the boys don't. There are no, there aren't really any famous Malawian footballers, um, and and I think it's much more the ones that have kind of currency currently in in the news. So people like Neymar or or Messi or Ronaldo, rather than Drogba or I don't know SCN or someone like that. Yeah. Um, oh, so you were you were out there for a few weeks. Just indulge me with how you get to Malawi. It's my own logistics. Uh, <laughs> you you so okay. The the detailed answer is that there are there are three potential ways. You'd be excited to hear. You can either fly to Nairobi or Addis Ababa or Dar es Salaam, and then from one of those three places you can get a connecting flight to Lilongwe, which is the capital of Malawi. Um, you can also fly into Lusaku, which is uh, across the border in Zambia, and then get a uh, a small kind of prop plane um, to hop across the border on. Oh, uh, I, I, no, although I probably would do it next time because it's cheaper. Um, I I went to Nairobi and then had a long, long layover there. Um, about 12 hours and then flew on to the long way. Okay. So you went to um, a club called Chigali, Chigoli, sorry. Chigoli. It's it's the Chichewa word for goal. Okay. That was weird because they followed me on Twitter about two days before you announced you were going over there. Which is, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> which is really quite cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how long have you been? You were about three weeks, were you? Or a month? Uh, no, 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 no. I was I was out there for eight, nine days. Eight, nine days. Okay. Yeah. So your brief out there was to lead some training sessions or talk to the kids. What was it? Uh, my brief out there really was to to just find out what they were up to. Um, so I was put in touch with George Maguire, who's one of the two guys that runs it, um, by Paul Watson of yep. uh, the Pompney coaching fame um we were having <laughs> rather typically for me we were having a, a slightly arcane conversation about football shirts um which had a uh, coffee sponsorship and he said ah actually <laughs> the the same guys that that sponsored um some of the Pompney shirts uh are helping in this uh academy in malawi out there called chigoli you should look into them um the sponsors being Ironclad that are a coffee roastery in Virginia, um, in the U S. And so I, I followed Chigoli on Twitter and then started chatting to George. Um, and one thing led to another and I found myself heading out there about three weeks later. Um, and it was really just to kind of find out, you know, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? Who's involved? Um, yeah, there was no there was no real brief. I ended up doing all manner of stuff. I I helped with goalkeeping coaching, and I ended up filming a lot of stuff for a video that they've made, and and doing various other things. But yeah, it was it was totally exploratory. It just to kind of, I suppose I've I've as an adjunct, I I get I get not annoyed, frustrated. I think with a lot of sports writing, um. A lot of internet sports writing, I think, is is very kind of one-paced and, and done from an office or, or someone's bedroom or whatever. And that's not to say that the quality of the writing isn't sometimes high, but it, a lot of it isn't really rooted in, in the stories that, that you go and find outside of your immediate space. And I totally understand the reasons for that, um, because it's expensive and it's time-consuming and, and all of that, but... You know there are people out there. James Montague, who I know you've had on the pod, is is a really obvious example of of people who do go the extra mile to find stories. In James's case, many, many, many extra miles. Um, and that's the sort of sports writing that inspires me. So when I got the opportunity to to go somewhere like that, um, and they were Chigoli were scouting in in Mizuzu, the coffee region, for the first time ever. Um, they're they're about two and a half years old now, so they they kind of predominantly have based themselves around the long way initially, uh, and were starting to expand. and And they said, you know, given that I'm also interested in coffee, 
um, that would I like to accompany them on that particular scouting trip to to sort of not just see what they're doing, but see them doing it for the first time in a new region and kind of opening up what Chigoli does to a, a part of Malawi that's not experienced it before. Okay, so what, what level do they play? I'm reading their Twitter uh, bio. It says Malawi's Premier League Football Academy. So are these for the Super League or are they are, are they kids or they're kids they're okay. kids so they they have um they have they take kids in the under 10 up to i suppose in terms of in terms of recruiting it would be under 10 up to under 14 um they do have a team that is an age group above that but as i say with the the way that youth football does or doesn't work in malawi whether that team is a an under 15 team and under 16 team you kind of have to wait until just before the beginning of the season to see which leagues are running before you work out what kind of team you're entering yeah. um with that but yeah in terms of in terms of scouting players anybody sort of from about the age of 8 or 9 up to about the age of 13 maybe 14 at the outside they'll look at okay um so you went on a scouting mission Basically, is uh, the long and the short of it, yeah. What did you do then? So would you go with a little notepad? Would you have one player in mind to look at? Or would they say, go look at someone on that pitch playing who you think looks good? So, <laughs> no. It's, so basically, they they, they had a, a kind of a, a, a number of local um, fixers that are involved in football in that region. Um, and Edson, who I nicknamed Mr. FIFA because he always turned up in a FIFA tracksuit was was kind of the main guy and what he'd done uh, was he had reached out to all the local coaches that are involved in youth football because there is youth football and and there are coaches it's just the the experience that they bring is is perhaps not you know it's a long way behind what what Chigoli can offer yeah. um so they would then basically rustle up any number of children. I mean, I think probably in the course of the four and a bit days that we were up in that region, we we maybe saw 500, 550 kids, uh, a series of sessions. Um, and it is literally then just a case of uh, of watching and and picking out ones that, that are good. And I kind of, as I started off, you know, I kind of had my journalistic hat on, so I sat to one side with a notebook and I was recording my impressions of things and taking lots of photos. And and as I gradually got drawn into it, by the end I was I was down there with them going, "Oh, have you seen that one in the blue shorts? He's brilliant!" <laughs> you know, um, it's uh, it it's a really weird thing that it kind of pulls you in, and there is there's something incredibly, and I've read. I've read Michael Calvin's book on um, on scouting, uh, the Nowhere Men, and in it he describes the the kind of buzz that scouts get from discovering a player and and thinking, oh, you know, this lad is going to be amazing, or this girl is going to be amazing. And I certainly didn't poo-poo it because I think Michael Calvin is an excellent writer, and I wouldn't poo-poo anything he said. Um, but I kind of thought, yeah, this is this is something that those guys participate in and um but when you're there and you're surrounded by it and you can suddenly see this flash of talent in a kid that's maybe only eight or nine years old you just think that's incredible i've not seen somebody do that before or or whatever it is and it's it becomes quite intoxicating that that sudden revelation of skill but it must be a different feeling because they're doing it because quite a lot of, if you read his book, quite a lot of these scouts are people looking to get back into the game, aren't they? You're there watching it just for the sheer joy of it. And to see a young boy with obvious talent do something, you want, you're excited, not because you've discovered someone, you're excited for him and you're there to give to give him a chance. It's a more sort of altruistic happiness, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. I mean, there's, I, I remember a, a goal scored by a lad called Delaney who actually ended up not getting selected for the the final set of trials, but there there were two games running concurrently uh, on two pitches that were next to each other. And I happened to be the only one watching uh, the other pitch at that time. And this lad scored 
just the best volley I've ever seen executed in person. Um, it was incredible. And I actually shouted <laughs> because I was so, I was so kind of caught up in just that moment of not, not to get too romantic about it, but it, it was just a pure footballing moment. Well, it was just wonderful to, to see that happen. You're happy for uh, him. You're happy for him because he's done something that someone's noticed rather than the fact that you've noticed him ahead of somebody else. You see the difference? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think, I think that's, in that regard, yes, there's, there's, there's certainly a, a division there. Um, I think for me personally, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a Chigoli staff member and I'm not, you know, I'm not looking to get into football professionally or anything like that. Clearly I'm divorced from that. But I think also the guys at Chigoli, for them, what they want to do is find those players that they can give a pathway to, potentially into professional football, certainly into having a better life because of educational support, nutritional support, all of those other things. So so the excitement for them is not about seeing a guy that they think, oh, you know, in, in a couple of years' time, you know, he'll be sold for X amount and we'll get a percentage of that or anything. That's, that is absolutely not what they're about. Um, they look at it and, and I think for them as well, they, they, they believe that this talent exists in Malawi. And so every time they see it, it's kind of a vindication of their starting premise that, that you know, that, that there are players out there that can do extraordinary things despite you know, not wearing football boots and not having ever been coached and existing on a diet of a thousand calories a day, which when you're 12 years old is really not very much. Um, and yet they can still do these things, you know, and, and that's for, for George and Alex who set your goalie up. It was, it was about seeing all of that untapped potential basically going to waste and thinking, you know, we should do something about this. Either of the scouts there. How do you, sorry, what do you mean? Uh, are there scouts from either Malawian professional clubs or foreign clubs? Did, not just at the session you went to, but in Malawi in general, do you know? Um, so there aren't going to be scouts from foreign clubs. No, absolutely not. Um, there, there will probably be scouts from Super League teams once you get to the kind of under-17, under-18 level. Um Malawian football but take the age divisions with a pinch of salt because there is a huge amount of age cheating uh, in Malawian football, in, in African football in general to be fair um, so at Chigoli they have to age screen rigorously and they won't take anybody who doesn't have legitimate verifiable date of birth How um, do you age screen documents. somebody? Uh, bluntly in the first instance you look at them and think you just don't look 12. Hmm. Um, and it, it's a weird one because there'll be older players who lie about their age to be younger because they know it gives them a physical advantage in an age group and so they'll stand out. Conversely, weirdly, you also have younger players who lie to be older because they don't think they'll get a chance if they are only eight or nine. Oh, that's so sad. So there's a kind of yeah, which which also is is completely untrue based on what Chigoli are trying to do. Mm. Um, so they they want to see you know kids of that age who've got the potential. They're not looking for the finished product by any means, but um, there's not a lot of um, there's there's not a lot of honesty engendered, particularly in the kids that are a little bit older and have started to play some sort of age group football, because the a lot of the coaches are complicit in in lying about stuff. And we we dropped in on a game that was supposed to be an under seventeens game um, in the long way, and it was just patently obvious that that they, were, you know, the majority of the lads playing were not under seventeen. But you, um, you can understand this. I mean, you were talking about earlier on about children living on a thousand calories a day, which you can't do. I mean, if you've got, a, if, if you come from real sort of grinding poverty that you get in some in places such as Malawi, and you've got a boy with a bit of talent, you obviously see him as your not in a 
callous way, but it's your way out of that hole. If he's got a bit of um, football talent about him, then you're bound to dream about Drogba and Messi and think, you know, what can he do? You, you can't entirely condemn people for doing that, can you? No, I, I, I suppose it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult being being a Westerner from the UK and coming in and making any kind of judgment about stuff because you're automatically in the position where legitimately people will question your right to make those kind of judgments. Um, and it's not a thing of, you know, I don't want to get into any kind of moral relativism about it. I, I think the sad thing is that actually what's being suggested to those kids is actually hampering their chances, not helping them. Mm. That's the thing that annoys me about age cheating, because actually if if you're 11 but you're pretending to be 13, then you know it, it's less of an issue. But if you're if you're a 16 year old who is pretending to be, you know, 14, 13, you're a you're hampering the chances of others, but you're also you will get caught out. You know, there's there's no way that a player would be able to move to a big club and not get found out for having lied about their age. So ultimately, you will end up hampering your ability to move on because people are very aware of this being a persistent issue in African football. It's a lot of pressure on these children, isn't it? I mean, do their parents send them there with this sort of meal ticket in mind and then these kids feel the pressure to have to perform or to succeed? Um, I certainly didn't get that impression. I mean, there were... You know, obviously there are a couple of kids that were that were upset not to have been picked, but I think a lot of them a lot of them love to play football and for them it was you know, it was an opportunity to, to play football for other people in a more organized setting and you know, I don't I I I don't know I didn't speak to, to parents, but I certainly didn't get the impression from the kids that they came there with a huge weight of expectation and stress around them. Absolutely not. You know, they were, they were sat down at the beginning and they were excited and happy and chatting. And, and when some of them didn't get picked as, as many of them weren't, they weren't kind of sloping off in tears, which would have been really incredibly hard to deal with. Um, Must be a horrible job to tell a child they're not quite good enough. Yeah, I suspect it is. Um, and, and fortunately, you know, that wasn't really, part of of what i was involved in but i did i did see it and there was you know there was a lad who stuck out in my mind called Bruben, who was very good but was had had been so malnourished from an early age that he was just too small um he could not have effectively played within his age group um and and he was the only one who i saw really genuinely saddened by what had happened um but then you know from their perspective from chigoli's perspective they they aren't a charity they they are a, a not-for-profit organization but it's they are a football academy and that's that's the basis by which they choose whether or not to accept somebody um and so while it is tough it's still it, it's fair because that there's no there's no kind of um pretense that it's anything different hmm. what were um, these kids wearing were they wearing replica kits of anybody or did you go really give them something to wear um there were definitely replica kits floating about um there were quite a lot of barca ones there were quite a lot of chelsea ones um did you correct them the chelsea <laughs> <laughs> no um for fear of ryan mostly um <laughs> No, there were, but there's also kind of a a, a really interesting melange of of other oddities. I, I, there were there are a couple of Hertha Berlin ones kicking around that I spotted. I, where on earth have they come from? They um, pitched the Malawian kids, right? I mean, it, <laughs> so there were there were some there were some kids that were definitely dressed in a way that you know someone in East London would have spent years trying to perfect <laughs> that look, and, and these lads just had it absolutely nailed. Um, I also loved there were there were a lot of girls who came and played as well, and you know they'd turn up. There was one who turned up with a 
I can't remember if it was like a pink or a purple long skirt. Uh, and then over the top was like a, like a yellow kind of sweatshirt top with some clearly German 15th division side name on the back or something. I was like, I have no idea where you got that from, but it is incredible. <laughs> um, yeah. So what did you uh, go? Oh, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say football boots at a premium. Um, yeah. There were a lot of people that, that had one, so they played with a football boot on their stronger foot, but barefooted on the air of the foot. Um, none of the goalkeepers had gloves until Chigoli provided them with gloves. So, you know, shin pads non-existent. Um, I think I saw one lad with shin pads the entire time I was there. So there's not a lot of stuff going about. Do these kids know where they want to play, um, or do they, or do the Chigoli say you're going to be fullback, you're going to be striker, you're in goal? No, no, they know where they want to play. Um, <clears throat> Malawi, they 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 tell their positions by numbers. So if you say, okay, where do you play? They'll say number two um, or number seven. So they won't say I'm a right midfielder. They'll say I'm a number seven. But they all knew. They all knew exactly where they wanted to play. Um, everybody wants to be a winger <laughs> uh, or a fullback. Very few people want to play anywhere else. Really? Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants, you people would rather be a fullback than a striker? Um, I'd say strikers are probably like third in the pecking order. But there wasn't that there wasn't that thing of everybody wants to score goals. Yeah, there were there were definitely some kind of died in the wool defenders out there who who really wanted to stay back and just stop people, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I find it bonkers that anybody that people would want to be a position other than in goal, but you know, that's well, you and I are the same in that respect. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you go and pick these players, what do they do? Do these kids? Um, do they sort of board at a Chigoli Academy during the week, or how does that work? Um, so. While they're based in Lelongwe only, as as they have been up until this point, um, then there would be training uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, around normal school time. And uh, they pay for them to be privately educated as well. Um, and that private education does not stop if the child fails to make it from a football perspective so they're living away from their families are they at this point no no not at this point no there are a couple that live away from their families um but at the moment because they're all up up until this most recent scouting trip they they were all the long way kids so they would just get the bus in to training they would live with their parents um the plan ultimately is to have some sort of residential centre, yes. Um, but that is still in the works. Uh, there will possibly be relocation of some kids. But in Malawi, there's there's very much a kind of staying with friends and relatives for extended periods of time is quite a normal thing. Um, so if a, if a child comes from Mizuzu but has an aunt in the long way, then they will stay with the aunt in the long way and that's not seen as as an unusual thing. So do they get FIFA funding, Chigoli, or any any other kind of funding for to improve their infrastructure or their education academy? Uh no, Chigoli are, are solely not for profit, um, raising their own funds. So is that sort of FIFA grants or is it um I from... don't think they've had any grants from FIFA, no. No, it's it's they raise their own funds through charitable donations and so on. Right. In case I forget at the end, where can we go and do that? Is it on their website, is it? Uh, yes, it is. And you can do various things like um, buy shirts, uh, sponsor players, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the amount of money that it takes to sponsor a player to put them through private education in Malawi is... it. I don't want to say it's not a lot of money because... A to them it is, and B to a lot of people it is. But it, it's, it's about two hundred and fifty pounds a year, which, in terms of how we view private education, is not a lot of money. No, that's Chigoli.org uh, according to their Twitter page, and their shirts do look very nice. 
I have one of them. It's pretty awesome. The, red, the green one with the red stripe? Yes, I, I got one of the first set that are not otherwise branded, though. Oh, they look good. Yeah, they are good. Sorry, you were yeah. saying a minute ago about um, educate. So they're 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 educated in not just football, but also a general education. You're saying that doesn't stop if they don't make it. That carries on. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, so they don't they don't take a child into private education because they're on the football program. But then if they get um, cut from the football program, that education stops. So they they are supported throughout, regardless of whether they make it as a footballer or not. Okay, so they, they I mean they've got a decent start in life anyway, even if they don't make it as a footballer. There's other options. Absolutely, yes, yes, indeed. So, did you say was I listening right pre-record when you said you did some teaching or something? I I ended up I ended up helping out with the goalkeeping coaching. Yeah, um, so they have uh, a a woman called Caitlin um, who was a professional footballer in Scotland and moved to Malawi uh, and ended up teaching there and got involved with Chigoli. And she is the, the main goalkeeping coach. And obviously, having been a professional keeper herself, um, she she gets coaching. She gets how to do it. Um, so I ended up helping her a fair bit while we were up in Mizuzu because there wasn't anybody else with goalkeeping training or goalkeeping experience. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I actually, I really, really enjoyed it. I did not expect to enjoy helping with goalkeeping training sessions, but I did. Do you know what? I don't know about you. I've, I've always been a goalkeeper. I'm 40 now. And I've been a goalkeeper since I was sort of five years old. I've never had mm. any formal coaching myself. And what's that? That's 35 years of playing in goal. I wouldn't even know how to coach somebody else playing in goal. No, I I didn't really. Um, and I've I've never had any formal coaching either. And I've been... I mean, I'm 35 now, and like you, I've always played in goal. Um, but I just kind of watched her and what she was up to. And, and I found that there were certain things that I could try and convey just from my experience of kind of knowing what was right or not um, to do with, you know, hand position, communication, footwork, diving, that sort of stuff. So I could, I could tell them what they ought to be doing um, and then... Caitlin would often have a specific exercise around that idea or around something else. Um, and then it was a question of kind of helping out with that and, and seeing what she was doing. And, and a lot of it, uh, goalkeeping training is obviously quite quite specific. The level at which they were doing it, um, it was fairly easy for me to pick up uh, and then kind of help out. And, and I'm sure it gets more complicated as you go further on but fortunately for me at that point it wasn't too bad that sounds so cool so it, it really was it was <laughs> it was so much fun um so they get a, a sort of more formal education as well as a football coaching so what do they do, do they go to wake up in the morning go to school nine till three four o'clock and then they have their football training afterwards how does that work yeah pretty much yeah um i mean at the moment it's it's mostly just friday saturday sunday um, and it's, you know, it's the football stuff you'd expect. It's a lot of, um, passing, uh, technique stuff, uh, playing with the ball and positional training. Um, and most weekends they'll have a match. Uh, if the league's not running for whatever reason, the leagues don't run, which is more than just, it's not the normal time to have a league. Um, They'll they'll try and arrange friendly games stuff like that. So, you know, they're they're spending a lot of time being coached, but they also try and get as much game time as they possibly can. What qualifications have the coaches got? Um, so, George and Alex were both um, at Premier League clubs as uh, youth players themselves, um, and. Tom, who is a Malawian coach, who is kind of the head coach, really, I suppose. Um, he is a, uh, he, well, he's CAF A licensed, but that's the same as being UA for A licensed, say. Um, he's actually a Malawian Super League coach winner. Um, that's a really cumbersome way of putting it. He coached a team that won the Malawian Super League. Um, and he was also a coach of the Malawian women's national team. 
Um, so he's he's got formal coaching badges to a high level. And what, um, sorry, what, I was wondering what age they go to. What age do they take kids up to at Chigoli? Uh, so the oldest are in the uh, there's a couple that just fall into the under 17 bracket at the moment. Um, the bulk of the squad is probably under 13s, under 14s. Yeah, and are there many Chigolis? No, they're the only one. They're the only one. So there's no other sort of formal academy like this within Malawi. Literally not a not at all. And then, no, and and quite possibly not in the surrounding countries either. I was just going to ask that. I was going to say that this is the sort of only thing. Would they take non-Malawians as well if um, uh, if one happened to turn up? So they've got they've got a lad called, um, believe it or not, Ravanelli. Brilliant. Uh, yes, uh, who is also known as Vava, um, and Vava is a refugee from the Democratic Republic of the Congo who lives in a refugee camp in Malawi um, and thus qualifies for Chigoli that way. Um, he's the only non-Malawian at the moment, um, but, I, well, certainly if there, were, if there were other kids at the refugee camp who were suitable, then they would happily take them on. Um it's a plan of theirs to expand the range of scouting into neighbouring countries, but that's further down the line at the moment. How far do you think down the line it is? Uh, I would say, I would say it's probably feasible for them within a year or two, maybe. Yeah. It's. I mean, one of the things you're you're battling against infrastructural issues. Um, you know, to drive from Blantyre to Lelongwe is about four hours. To drive from Lelongwe to Mazuza is about five hours. And how far is that, just in distance-wise, so we can equate it? Um, I think it's about 250, 260 miles. Right. I mean, that's not too much different than... Maybe it's less than that. I, yeah, I was going to say that's not too much different from here, I suppose. I know you've you not got the sort of M5 or M1 or something like that, but... Well, no, I mean, there's there's basically... There are tarmac roads in the capital and, and around around the centre of Mazuzia and the centre of Blantyre's tarmac roads as well. There's one motorway which actually is called the M1 but is basically like an A road that runs the length of the country. Mm. Um, there's no railway. Um, and basically once you're off into any small town or the outskirts of the big towns, you're just on dirt tracks. So logistically, it's not it's not easy to organise stuff. It's not easy to get around. Um, then you need to find people within those specific areas who will do initial prep work for you in terms of notifying players that something's happening, gathering players up together, that kind of stuff, because there's not there's not a kind of easy network of communication around, you know, it's not, obviously there's, there's people have mobile phones and, and the internet, although the internet actually you have to buy kind of by bandwidth every so often. But for a lot of the kids that they're dealing with, that that's a luxury that, that maybe their family don't have. So it's, it's quite hard to organize everything and get stuff done and get people turning up where they're supposed to be on time and stuff like that. Um, so the, the scope of their ambition is, is massive, but it's limited by the logistics of operating in the area they're operating in. Okay. Um, are you going to be going back? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of, I think there's scope, there's scope to look, in greater detail at what they're doing over a long period of time. But I think also, um, I just want, I, you know, George, who is one of the two guys who runs it, who I probably spent the most time with is just a lovely guy. Alex who runs it is lovely as well. Tom and Saint, who are two of the coaches. Um, I spent a lot of time with, you know, that I made friends with them. Um, and I also want to see how some of those kids developed. You know, there are, there are people who, Obviously, obviously, my voice wasn't the most listened to from a footballing perspective for very understandable reasons. But there are definitely kids that I was party to those discussions of them saying, you know, this kid has got real ability, and I, I'm desperate to go back in 
six months or 12 months time and see how they've progressed with that level of coaching and that level of support that they'll now be afforded. Well, um, you must have your favourites who you talk to most of those kids and really want to see. Yeah. Um, so there's a goalkeeper there called Julius um, who's already in the academy um, and he's he's brilliant. He's an incredible character. He's, I think, 10 um, and very, very brave, very dominant goalkeeper, hugely athletic. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he has come along. Goalkeeping is sort of the area <clears throat> where obviously the lack of coaching makes in some ways the most difference because this goalkeeping is so technical um, and, and the, the, the performance of a goalkeeper can be improved so much with proper coaching mm. and also access to gloves, <laughs> which is a major thing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that, and then there was, uh, there was a, a girl they found uh, in Mizuzu called Logano, um, who is extraordinarily talented. I mean, just remarkable. What position does she play? Um, she thinks she's a striker. Um, she's probably not. Um, I'd say maybe more of a kind of attacking midfielder or, or an eight, um, you know, a central midfielder who pushes up. But she... You know, they, they they put her in a team with boys a year or so her senior in age and she didn't look at all out of place. Yeah. Um she so to go back and see how she's developed as well. Um she was really like she was one of the, the couple of players where the first time we saw her I think we knew she was coming down actually on the day. Um and you just kind of stop and go, Okay, you know, we found someone this is kind of remarkable. Um, so that was pretty cool. That's amazing. We've got to wrap this up, unfortunately, because it's a real shame because I could talk to you all night about this. But just the last couple of things. Um, what was the most exciting thing you saw there? Um, from a footballing perspective, it was Alemi's right-footed volley, as previously mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think. I think for me, just being somewhere that was that was new and interesting finding it to be a really warm welcoming interesting place um just being there was exciting i know that's kind of a, a slightly cheap answer but i it was such an incredible experience to be able to go out there and to see what was happening and to to have this common language of football um you know for kids who not only didn't speak english but quite possibly in some instances in the more rural areas of mizuzu had seen very few white people ever um it didn't matter because we were all there to to play football or coach football or watch football so that that was cheesy i know but true <laughs> and pretty cool it is pretty cool. It's not cheesy. It sounds it when it comes out of your mouth. But I, I could get completely <laughs> what you completely and utterly what you're saying because I mean we were talking pre-pod about the book that's just come out, Steve Constantine's book um, mm, from yes. Delhi to the Dow. He's been the national team manager of Malawi, and I was saying to you the impression I got from him when he was manager of Malawi is the people were wonderful. Uh, the players were obviously talented, but not coached or they, they were basically rough diamonds is basically what these players were um yeah infrastructure yeah infrastructure in malawi and malawian football itself wasn't great and could have been improved um and there's some people at the very top of malawian football who i don't think they're self-interested but i think they've got bigger opinions of themselves than what they should have is the impression i got from reading his book yeah yeah i think that's that's probably fair i mean he he certainly um i don't think he lasted terribly long in the job and i and i think there seems to be if, if you look at the number of coaches malawi have had since 1998-99 no one's really lasted very long and that to me speaks much more of the issues at the top of malawian football um than it does the quality of those coaches and i think there's Interestingly, one of the pathways for kids that maybe don't make it in footballing terms at Chigoli but but are obviously academically capable is they are being encouraged to think about coaching um, and to 
to take the the ethos and the attitude that they've learned at Chigoli allied to a background in coaching to hopefully be kind of the next generation of people coming through because there aren't that there are there are some good Malawian coaches but they they don't get the chances that often at the top jobs because people want to employ Europeans they certainly wouldn't get a look in anywhere outside of the Malawian Super League um and that general lack of footballing education doesn't do any good for the country in terms of, of progressing its international football, but also progressing everybody else. And it makes it very easy for people who've got into the top jobs in football, perhaps politically, to just stay there because there's nobody with the the experience or the credibility to challenge them. And that that's definitely not good for football there. Are we going to be able to read about this or watch videos about this, your, your trip? at some point um yes i'm i'm i am writing about it i write slowly and with less discipline than i should um but there will definitely be a piece uh up on the set pieces about it hopefully in the near future um i think there'll probably be one or two other pieces that come out of it as well but um yeah if and when that happens i'll i'll plug those uh, in the usual fashion. Yeah, you should plug them to death. Because I mean, you said you made the video for them, so is that on their website? Is it? Um, oh, I, well, I didn't edit it together. Um, I just filmed quite a bit of it. It's um, I got it sent through via email today, so I don't know if they're releasing it at the moment or whether it was just for us to have a look at first. Um, but once it's there, once it's up, I'll I'll definitely share it because. You know, I, I don't know from a kind of journalistic integrity point of view how good this is, but I, I really liked them, <laughs> and I, you know, I, oh, I want to, I want to talk about. It's one of those things that, you know, you go there. I, I, I certainly wasn't cynical when I went there. I certainly wasn't expecting to, you know, uncover anything terrible. But you know, these these are just good people who care passionately about football, who really want the kids of Malawi to have an opportunity to improve their football um potentially get into professional football as a result of that and and that's what they're doing it's not there isn't anything bad about it so i kind of um yeah i got suckered in a little bit (laughs) the the really good thing about this is you to see all that you probably didn't have to go to malawi you could have gone to any one of a hundred countries around the world and seen that couldn't you which is also a very positive thing i think that's true yeah absolutely um and and i just you know, it it could well have been anywhere. Like you say, I think that for me, the pleasure of it being there was was that it was something that was very different for me, very new to me, um, and also just you know, kind of heading it off with the people involved. Really, um, uh, that connection having come through Paul in the first instance, I thought, you know, okay, these are going to be good people, and and they they absolutely were. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure necessarily it matters where you have that experience, but it. It, it reminded me what's really good about football. Um, and it was funny, we were sat in a sports bar in, uh, where would it have been? It probably was Mazuzu, actually, watching kind of 10, 15 minutes of Toshi opening to the Audi Cup, you know, the one between those at Liverpool and Bayern and a couple of other teams, Napoli and something. Atletico Madrid. Yeah, that's it. And uh, and just this this ridiculous fanfare and the over it was so over the top. It was so bloated and stupid for a preseason friendly. And you compare that to and, and this is sounding very against modern football, and it absolutely is like resolutely is that you know to to compare that to what I'd just been doing, which is you know playing football with a bunch of kids. You know, who basically come off the street to have that opportunity? That it reminds you what's important about football, which is that people love playing it, um, and it's not about money, and it's not about sponsorship deals, and it's not about media coverage and all that. It's about a group of people getting together with a ball and doing something they love. So that was pretty special. That was pretty cool. If people want to ask yeah. you um, the, any further questions after listening to this, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me uh, at AFH Stuart with an EW. Uh, and if you want to give Chigoli themselves a follow, that's uh, at Chigoli MW, which is C H I G O L I M W. And their tweets are fantastic. Indeed, they are. 
Um, and they're also on Instagram, uh, as am I, I think my Instagram handles and my Twitter bio. So, um, there are a lot of pictures, uh, from my travels on there. Um, so it's, I say it's worth going and having a look. I think it is. I definitely think it. I've seen your pictures, um, and I've been following Chigoli as well. It's really, really worth a look. Uh, if we're part of the World Football Index here at Man of the Post, um, and we talk about football from all around the world, so I know it, this will appeal to all the listeners that uh, subscribe through World Football Index, definitely. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that it's dark outside and nearly my bedtime i could talk to you for a whole lot longer so thank you ever so much for coming on really really oh, no, appreciate it's, it uh, it's my pleasure thanks for asking it's fantastic um we're going to be doing podcasts through the season here at man on the post uh you're going to be getting your midweek podcast with uh, myself ryan and whoever else rounding up the sort of midweek action looking forward to the premier league ross and the gang will be here on sundays to review that premier league um you can hit us up at man on the post on twitter um manandthepost.com is our website which never ever gets anything uh, and you, we are all part of the World Football Index as well which is at World Football I um, so you can always look up uh, look up those and if you can subscribe through iTunes you can get your podcasts uh, directly into your uh, podcast app inbox there's also Acast for those of you freaks who don't have iPhones um, thank you thank you thank you Alex again no thank you and always remember to keep your man on the post.